three, two, one. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to episode 124 of the No Normal Show, October 7th, 2021, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, boring, in the dust, and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. I am joined, as always... I can say that now. My co-host, Stephanie Werwell, who is SVP of Integrated Marketing at Revive. Hello, Stephanie. Hey, Chris. Good to see you again. You too. And we have co-hosts, as always, and show's producer, as always, Chase Kleckner, Senior Marketing Manager at Revive. Hello once again, Chase. Hello. So glad to be with you guys again. This, is a, this has been a fun time. It has been a fun time. We're just getting rolling. Just getting started. Just, just kind of shake out the cobwebs, <laughs> trying to figure out like who's supposed to talk when. It's that it's that early stage. It's the raw stage. It's awesome. It's going to be fun. We got another great lineup of content. Uh, we could spend this whole show talking about, for example, Facebook. Been a pretty uh, interesting, active week for our folks over at Facebook. Right? Or quiet. Going on. <laughs> quiet <laughs> in some ways. Yes, lots going on. So, you know, everybody knows there, well, not maybe not everybody knows there was a really powerful series in the Wall Street Journal that was based on a lot of inside information about some pretty heinous behaviors, if they are accurate, uh, that Facebook's been accused of. And then one of the people behind that series who worked at Facebook, Francis Haugen, kind of um, announced she was the whistleblower. She went on 60 Minutes Sunday night. She had congressional testimony Monday. Also, I'm sure completely coincidentally, Facebook went down. All of Facebook platforms went down, not just Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, all of them went down for, I don't know, how long was it, you guys, like six hours? Oh, more than that. Yeah, it was eight to ten hours. It was the longest outage they've experienced um, in their history, and it took them essentially twenty-four whole hours to to figure it out, to get everything back up to speed, um, and do all the stuff they needed to do internally. Yeah, I, I remember when it was going on because my my daughter and wife were talking about it because I was telling them, and we won't get into all of our thoughts on Facebook. We're gonna save that, but. My daughter's like, yeah, this is weird because when you go to Facebook.com, it says it's for sale, which I did hear in other places. <laughs> like it, it really was a significant event, whatever was behind it. Uh, and you know, Facebook hasn't really done the best job of responding to any of it. To be honest, like from a PR perspective, we are a integrated marketing agency, and so we have a lot of comms and PR experts. And I think most would say. The responses that have come since then have not been uh, helpful, but we yeah. can debate all of that. Um, Stephanie and I have a lot to say, and Chase too. We have a lot to Me say too. on this. Is that fair? 
It is. I mean, I think we should also note that it wasn't just Facebook, right? It was the entire Facebook ecosystem. It was Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, Oculus. And Facebook has been intentionally building up this massive ecosystem for a long time. And then the entire the entire thing goes out, which I, you know, there were some people saying the Internet's out today. I mean, just just as an example of how much percentage of the Internet that feels like. Um, but to your point about their response, um, on October 5th, the, the next day, Mark Zuckerberg t- took to his own platform and shared a very, very long response. Um, so that's you know one way that they've been responding to it. Uh, and then also have slowed down on some of their product development, including Instagram for kids. Um, and uh, you could debate on how, how well that's going over to Chris's point, um, but that's what they're making progress on Instagram for kids. I we're not on video, but if you could see my face, you can hear it in your we, voice. <laughs> we will, we will save all of that because it, there's huge implications here, not just for how all of us as people interact on Facebook and and Facebook's impact on our society, but obviously for brands that are, you know, in the health space, Facebook is a is an extraordinarily powerful marketing tool. And so, you know, we need to think about it from that standpoint, not just from, you know, the, this broader this broader kind of issue that's, that they're cropping up, but they're related. Uh, we had a situation, gosh, what was it, Stephanie? Was it last year when there was a, a boycott of Facebook? Uh, that's right. And I can't remember what that was behind that, but we had clients who participated in that. Uh, a lot of questions for us about should we participate? What difference does it make? Uh, and so this has kind of come up before. I think we can leave this part of the conversation with, this seems different. This seems like a, a higher level of scrutiny. It seems like much more damning uh, intel that's being released, more so than, than has happened before. And then obviously just the culmination of all these things happening within a very short period of time. So um, we want to take our time and actually dive in. And so we didn't want to do that here, kind of just reactionary. The one thing I'll say is what we experienced in many brands, probably almost all brands experienced on Monday was, you know, we had campaigns about to go live. We had campaigns running. We had reporting to do. um, And with an outage that large, it puts things behind. It not only loses Facebook billions of dollars, but clients whose advertising depend on it. Um, And to me, one of the takeaways there is the importance of diversification from a marketing mix and advertising st- um, standpoint. And that's what we saw a little bit last year with the boycott um, and just the need to think about our overall marketing mix and not be afraid to experiment with new channels because that's the only way we're going to be able to diversify in the future. And the other thing we can, again, we don't want to dig too much deeper into this, but there are a lot of small businesses that rely heavily on Facebook for their business. So when, the, when that went went down on Monday, uh, it caused a lot of disruption for small businesses, not typically audiences we think or talk about too much, but certainly physician practices or others that might be um, reliant on Facebook uh, in that way, advertising and otherwise. So uh, just just a lot to dig into, and we will give it its due course. Maybe next week. We'll have to figure that out. But soon. It's a big deal. All right, let's get to our main topic and that is something we call smaller life spheres. So last year, about this time last year, maybe a couple months later, so like November, we actually did some work with Haney's, 
which is the Hospital Association of New York, to study the potential long-term consumer behavior implications of COVID-19. So how would some of the things that we were experiencing last year uh, translate into you know, short-term, long-term, or permanent changes in how consumers think about and engage in healthcare? And the result of that was a, a report we put out called The End of the Runway. And we looked at five ways that we thought consumer behavior was going to change in, in significantly as it relates primarily to, to hospitals and health systems. But I think a lot of this relates to anybody who is trying to connect with consumers in terms of health. And so one of those was what we call smaller life spheres. And obviously, if you can think back to last year, it's a, it's a pretty obvious concept uh, in terms of where we were at, especially in the spring. We were all quarantined, we're all at home. So we were getting all of our entertainment from home. We're having our food delivered to home. We're having our groceries delivered to home. We were shopping from home. We were, get, were going to school from home. We were working from home. So everything was happening at home. And, and we all know that that was not gonna be permanent. I mean, God help us, <laughs> that would not be permanent. Uh, but the, what we looked at was the, the effect of that shrinking what we called life spheres. So, so when you think kind of almost ge geographically about your life and how far out you go for different things from vacation travel to how far you might travel to go to a mall to shop to where you might be comfortable going for an urgent care visit. And what we found then was that not only us, but a lot of smart people were saying, hey, this is going to have a permanent impact on those life spheres. They're going to shrink in some way. Again, not everybody's gonna stay at home, but people are gonna think and act differently about how far they're willing to go uh, the obvious implication for us in healthcare is virtual care, uh, but there's a lot of other ones. There's the idea that, uh, you know, everybody is what's, I can't remember what the statistic is, but I think everybody lives like five miles from a Walgreens on average in this country. So if you're Walgreens, you're in a much better position to serve people than if you're a typical health system where that number might be 20 miles or it might be 30 miles, right? I use myself as an example. Uh, I used to be fine driving into downtown from where I live in Minneapolis for routine things like physician visits and whatever. Now that feels like a long way away and I'm much more likely to go, gosh, is there an alternative? Is there a virtual alternative? Is there somebody closer to me that I could go to? Because that just seems like a, that seems like a real, you know, road trip now. And so we wanted this discussion to be just kind of laying that on the table, but then how has that changed? Has it changed? Are we still seeing signs of a smaller life sphere? Do we think that that will still be something that we're dealing with moving forward? And, and I would say, you guys, I think what we found in going out and doing research was that yes, this is still something that's that's happening and that will continue to happen even post COVID. Is that fair? Yes. I mean, I think if you if you look at, I mean, just look at your own life, right? Like, I think we can all say, yeah, I, I don't travel as much as I used to. I don't go into the offices as much as I used to, if ever, for some of us. I mean, I know PwC just off, like, announced this week, I believe, uh, their full-time employees can work from home forever, which is 40,000 <laughs> employees. So it's uh, that's a big deal. Like that, Those announcements didn't happen 
uh, before COVID-19, or not a lot of them, especially at that size. I, I looked up uh, an interesting study about driving habits as far as, you know, how many um, miles are we traveling on average? And we're at the 2007 level of what on average, like how many vehicle miles traveled on the road, um, which is a significant decline. Uh, so, yes, yeah, I mean, I think it's very apparent that we have smaller life beers. And just to add a few stats to that, um, both from a travel standpoint and then just lifestyle-wise, so that vehicle miles uh, were, were down about 0.2 trillion miles from where we were uh, pre-pandemic. So that is it's significant. Um, and from an air mile standpoint, I think this will not be surprising to anyone, but air travel is still down by 26%. Um, also, interestingly, thinking about at-home lifestyle, uh, from a cooking and eating out standpoint. Now, restaurant sales are back up to where they were pre-pandemic, but what's interesting is that does include things like takeout. And as you look at people um, and, and how they're making use of food consumption, for takeout versus cooking, seven and 10 say as of early 2021 that they will continue cooking at home like they did in, or in 2020 when uh, cooking was up significantly. So, it, so far, we can tell that we have not bounced back fully um, and we may not in many instances. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the important message here because we can dismiss, you know, if we can dismiss things as being, well, this is just related to COVID and once COVID's gone, we don't have to worry about this, then it makes it um, a much smaller issue to try to kind of grapple with. But again, if, you know, if you look at the report we did in November of last year and you look at these statistics, I think most extroverts will say, look, this isn't going away even when COVID goes away. Because the truth is you learn that you don't need to travel as far. You learn that you're more comfortable with things like food delivery, uh, with having your groceries delivery. You, you learn that it's not that much more expensive. There's a lot more convenience. Uh, we talk a lot about virtual care as you know, example in our industry. Uh, to me, it's somewhat like the Pandora's box. I mean, for me personally, and I think for a lot of people who experienced virtual care in a real way last year, I don't want to go back. You know, like I only want to go in if I have to. They're cutting me open or they, they've got to like check me out physically. But if it's just like, a, you know, I have type 2 diabetes, I don't need to go in to talk to somebody for a type 2 diabetes check-in, which I'm supposed to do every like six months. Um, I need to get the test. I need to get an A1C. But why do I have to go in anywhere for that, to be honest? It's just a blood test. Why can't I just do that at home as well? So that's the kind of thing where once you've once you've kind of the toothpaste is out of the tube in some ways, it's it's just not gonna go back. And in addition to virtual care, home health care is a, a a segment of the industry that is just massively growing. Um, it is a a very large uh, industry, not surprising, but it's predicted to grow an additional almost 8%, 7.88% between 2021 and 2028. So that's not even really thinking about COVID um, and COVID time period, but it's in the future seven years is predicted to continue to grow. I like to call this that the, the home is the new hospital, right? And the fact, Chris, to your point, what you're talking about is who wouldn't want to have their care at home? But from a business standpoint, what's really interesting is there's many that believe that the home is the answer to big healthcare problems like cost, where we often see fewer complications. We see reduction in cost, up to 30% re reduction in cost of care. 
through services um, and equipment um, in the home versus in the hospital. So really interesting, both from the standpoint of consumer desire, cultural trends, and uh, industry impact. Yeah, we've got you know we've got a new book coming as we're we're going to continue to talk about more and more Joe Public twenty thirty, which looks at five pretty significant predictions for the coming decade, and one of them is we call it the Copernican consumer, meaning the consumer is going to become truly the center of their health universe. And we've been talking about you know patient centered care forever, but really what that means is how do you uh, you know revolve care around a patient in a care setting. Most health systems do not mean that to be, we're gonna orient care around the consumer wherever she is at, at home, at work, potentially in a care setting, right? The combination of monitoring and sensors and that kind of technology, uh, the ability of AI to help support all of this, uh, the the move to what what Stephanie's talking about, a number of systems like Intermountain gets credit for this, uh, being a leader in creating virtual hospitals, where the whole thing is oriented around virtual care, uh, to whatever degree you can you can provide it. So, you know this this would just be huge if we even got halfway to what we're predicting in the book, it would be a big deal. And when you think about in the in the paper. We talked about, well, how does this impact some of your marketing strategies? Well, if you have a strong investment in a regional uh, strategy, if you're trying to pull people in from not just across the metro, but across the state or across the region, uh, if you're trying to build medical tourism, if you're trying to build people nationally or pull from them internationally, all of this is going to impact that. All of this is going to impact, it's going to make it, it's just friction. So it's that much harder to convince people to, to travel for care. You really are gonna have to work harder to help them understand the value of that, why they wouldn't just go to what's closer to them as one example of how this would impact a, a marketing strategy. And that's especially true when we have CVS just this week um, noting that they're remaking hundreds of stores into outlets dedicated to primary care. And the stat you called out earlier, Chris, is a really interesting one. Every time it just it continues to shock me that four and five Americans live within five miles of a Walgreens and seven and ten live within three miles of a CVS. So to your point, it's about regional strategy. It's about real estate strategy. It's about partnerships. It's about retail care. Um, and it's about ensuring that that we are truly, truly hyper-local to, to patients. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's safe to say this is not going away uh, and we need to be paying more attention to it, COVID or not. You know, it is, it's, it's actually, again, the, the, the paper talks about how the COVID really just accelerated a lot of trends. Like we know that about virtual care, right? We would have, we would have eventually got to where virtual care is today, but good Lord, it probably would have taken five or 10 years without um, a crisis like COVID. And so the idea that people want easier access, that they don't want to travel, I mean, all of that probably would have come eventually, but COVID just, boom, put us right in the center of it. And it obviously affects other industries too. It affects entertainment. Uh, you know, do we think, uh, you know, entertainment companies are gonna stop releasing movies streaming at the same time as they put them in theaters? I don't know why they I would. I sure hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's right. Like consumers are like, well, no, don't take that away. Remember when it used to be that, okay, so the movie hits a the theater and you got to wait like three months before it's on HBO 
or no first now it's like okay maybe a two months before you can buy it on apple and then three or four months before it's on hbo and then it's on netflix and then it might be a network like two years later that was the cadence and now it's just like boom there it is buy it now i hope that doesn't change no one wants to wait no one wants to wait do you miss the do you miss the theater experience some somewhat i think it depends on the movie obviously i think you like i it's got to be some sort of action movie but yeah you miss the the magnitude of that right i think that's honestly really the reason you go to a, a movie theater is you can't replicate it at home as a huge homebody this the smaller life uh, <laughs> spheres trend really speaks to my heart because i've always felt like why am i in this dark dirty smelly place where I can't see what I'm sitting on and I have to eat what they're feeding me for $20 when I could do it at home. So um, I I really am excited about this trend um, and excited that <laughs> nearly every single business is is catering to it. I'm with you and I, I've never had those thoughts, but now that you say that, <laughs> they're all true and accurate and fair. My thoughts, and this is just because I'm old, I think this is because I'm getting old, is like, I can't bear the people People are just so rude in theaters. Do you remember that? Like people turning on their their iPhone lights in the middle, people talking, you know, somebody coming and there's like four people in the theater and they sit right in front of you and you're like, what, really? Or they sit right next to you. And you're like, seriously, you got to sit right there. Um, I could do without any of that, any of it. Like I, I agree with you, Chase, that there were movies. I remember watching um, Airplane, which is probably predates both of you when it came out in the 80s. And I was in a theater in a college town. And that experience where everybody's laughing together was, remember, I still remember it, right? That it, it made it an experience beyond the movie. Um, and I think there's been other situations like that, but I'm willing to give those up to not deal with the crinkle the bag person and the check your texts in the middle of the movie person and the talking loud people. So that's a, that's a trade I will make every day of the week i'd agree with that all right uh let's we got one final deal so as we were talking about this trend uh and again we will provide in the show notes uh, if you want to come to the website reviveagency.com uh, you can find our podcast under news and insights you can find the latest one there and we will provide in the show notes a link to this paper we're talking about but as we were talking about this together, the three of us, we thought, well, what other trends are we interested in? And we're not going to dig into them, but we each came with one and we're going to spin a little wheel. And whichever whichever one it hits on, we'll spend like two minutes talking about. So we'll see who gets to win. So mine was, I'm fascinated by the great resignation and the work from home debate, which I think are related. Um, I guess those are two trends. Those two trends are one trend. Those are two trends. I think they're related and I would call it one and they're also related to smaller life spheres, which is interesting um, because that's part of why we're staying so close to home is we're working at home. <laughs> True story. All right. So that's mine. Everybody knows what those are. I don't need to explain them. Stephanie, what's yours? Mine is the uh, the question, are the 90s really back? Uh, nostalgia in general, but also in marketing. And this this has really been top of mind for me because, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic, it's like time to buy new clothes. And obviously clothing trends are very much 90s. It's wide leg jeans, it's flares. Uh, but in marketing, this has absolutely become a trend where we're seeing brands from Ikea to you know, Burger King with their logo 
revert back to the 90s. Um, and I just think it's fascinating and has really interesting implications for why is this happening and what should we do about it? As someone who lived through the 90s, I would also like to ask why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that to see if your to see if your topic wins in our in our little roulette. Chase, what's yours? Yeah, mine is this is something I've been on a journey on in the last couple of years is just the rise of minimalism. So from a consumer perspective as far as how much you're consuming from a I guess what you're consuming, is it, you know, are you trying to consume a ton or are you, is there very specific things you're consuming? But I also think there's like, if you look at even like retail, as far as minimalism goes, like if you look at the Apple store, as far as the retail space, it's very minimal driven. I just think it's a really interesting concept. Obviously it's very popular within the kind of millennial decade, but I think it's a fascinating thing that brands have to consider as far as packaging, as far as, are they, do they have a higher purpose versus just profits? Um, because I think that is attractive to millennials and it's definitely something I've been attracted to. Okay, so those are our three options. We will not spend more than three or four minutes talking about whatever the winner is. I'm spinning my dial. Whee! <laughs> I tick, love the sound tick, effect. <laughs> tick, tick, go! It's minimalism, minimalism. Yes. So you set it up, Chase. Um, yep. Is this is this related to stoicism, which I'm just kind of starting to learn about? But don't ask me what it is because I will completely butcher it. I won't ask you what it is, but I think it's related. Even and I agree, I'm uh, I would say I'm a novice on, on stoicism, but I think I actually have a definition of it. If that, if you want to go into the definition of which stoicism? Yes, no, not stoicism, but of minimalism. Oh, okay, give it to um, us. It's a movement towards a sustainable, self-aware lifestyle where people yearn to spend less, save more, and have a smaller negative impact on Earth's natural resources. So that's the intent of it? That's the intent of it. Yep. Is that your understanding too, Stephanie, that that's the intent of minimalism? Well, I think it's absolutely related to, as I was considering this a little bit about very much climate change and the rise of thinking about our impact, but I don't feel like it's the full intent of every single person. Um, yeah. I think for many, there's just the joy of, of less and the joy of, of lack of clutter, as we've seen um, with Marie Kondo and, and others. <laughs> yeah, it definitely got kick-started back up again through a lot of Netflix documentaries like Tidying Up. There was a document, which is from Maria Kondo. Um, I don't know if I'm saying I don't know who that correct. person is. And that uh, sounds like the worst oh, documentary no. ever. So I, it's hey, let's settle in and watch Tidying Up. I want to know how to <laughs> clean better. Shocked. That's what I think that shocked. says. I think she sold over 10 million books uh, with that idea. Um, so it blew up within the millennials. And it's an interesting idea, though I don't know if I agree that that is minimalism. To me, like if you have so many things you have to organize, I, that to me is not minimalism. That's just a way of organizing. <laughs> like, though I think there's, it's she's going in that direction. To me, like I've got three kids and you will not believe how much stuff you amass with kids. Like people just come out of the woodworks and are like, hey, here's this, here's this. And you're like... <laughs> How did we end up with all this stuff? And I mean, we, we've moved a lot in the last couple of years. We've moved probably four times in seven years. And it's been really cool because I think part of a forcing function is you 
you just get rid of stuff when you move. And so we've been very intentional of, I guess, what gets, what comes into our house, what we're buying. Uh, with kids' toys, it can just be, it can just get overwhelming. So we've really had to scale back on kids' toys, which is funny. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really fascinating trend. I mean, you've heard it from like capsule wardrobe. Uh, you've seen it in graphic designs, even like billboards. Like I think of the Chick-fil-A billboard, very minimalistic. It's got their logo. It's exit whatever number and turn left at the light. Like to me, that's a simplistic design. Um, and like I mentioned, you got Apple stores, which I think is kind of the pinnacle of minimal- minimalism in a, in a retail space. I think this trend has been building for a while. So I'm thinking it was like five years ago, you know, when all marketers were trying to understand millennials. And one of the big, biggest um, insights was millennials value experiences over things. And then I fast forward to maybe two or three years ago when there was a lot of discussion about um, not ownership, um, the exact term, I can't remember, but around the idea of not owning things, but instead of streaming them, right? Renting, um, rent the runway, think about Spotify. Um, and all these services that popped up so that people didn't have to own physical things, but instead could either rent or stream um, and not have to have all this clutter. So we're just seeing the culmination of a lot of this that has been enabled by digital experiences. And I would only expect that it would continue to grow, but will always be pushed against by capitalism. Stephanie, thumbs up or down? Most people are not neutral about Wes Anderson. They're either like love him to death or can't bear him i think that's gonna have to be the homework assignment for both chase and i this coming yep. week <laughs> oh my gosh okay so somebody has to watch hotel budapest who wants to volunteer have you not seen it i've got that one i'll take that one okay and i've not seen this not seen it though stephanie you should watch um i think it's called moonrise kingdom all right those are both like the epitome of wes anderson and so then you can report back i th- i think you'll enjoy them but again, some people are just going to be like, what the? You may be like, what the? And that's fine. But I think they're amazing. So great. We got homework. Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> Tune in. And I'll, I'll quiz you guys on them. There you see go. what you think. All right. I think that's it. Anything else we want to hit before we head out of here? Oh, I can't wait to see what happens next in the Facebook saga um, over the next few days. So we'll be, we'll be watching that for sure. Yeah, for sure. So just keep keep an eye on it, you guys. I'm telling you, we got a lot to talk about with Facebook. Can't wait to get into it. But we will save it. Stephanie Chase, thanks as always for being here, being co-host, you guys. Yeah, of course. Enjoy the conversation. Awesome. See you next week. Yes. And for all those listening, thank you for joining in. If there's something you want us to cover, shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com. Make sure you share the show with friends, spread it around. Give us a review and a rating on iTunes. That's super helpful. And until next time, do not be satisfied with the normal. Get rid of the normal. Move beyond the normal. Push the no normal, y'all. Talk to you next week. Three, two, one.